Hey, it's Kathy. I just want to let you know that I'm doing a free five-day workshop. It's called the Abundance Activation Challenge, and it starts today. And it's not too late for you to join us. Today is the last day to join. Go to kathyheller.com slash five day to sign up. The pre-party has been happening and it's been such a blast. There's so many high vibe women in there who are ready to call in more abundance. I know that you will love that you showed up for this. I'll be live at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern every day this week, teaching you how to become a master manifester. You are just going to have the best time. If you want to join us, sign up at kathyheller.com slash five day. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. So we are settling into Florida and uh, the other day we went to the beach for the first time at sunset and it was like a full body surrender. Just so, so beautiful. There's something about the air and the puffy Carolot Care Bear clouds and the pink and purple sunset. I mean, it was just... um so good for the soul. It feels like medicine. So I don't know if this is going to be our forever, forever, but for now it feels like such a gift to be able to breathe this air during this time. And I've been going so hard for so long. So it's nice to find that balance. I'm so excited because next week begins our Arrive community. I've been wanting to create a membership for the Don't Keep Your Day Job listeners really for the last two years. And it just finally felt like this is the moment. And so this membership, it's going to be amazing. And it all begins next week. We already have a great group of members in there and they're all so excited. So every single month I'll be going live doing some coaching. Plus we're going to be bringing in a guest expert. And for this month, next week, it's Stacey Tushel, who is incredible. Um, she helps people really start to build their business. She's known for getting you foot traffic, whether it's in person or online, bringing you those first five, 10 clients. And I really want you to be there for this. I, I want you to be a part of this because I know that it's going to light that spark inside of you because part of the problem is we all have this like scarcity mindset. There's no clients out there. There's no money out there. In general, people seem to think that, like, who would pay me for this? Is this really possible? But now with COVID, it's even more so. And I want you to know that there's four and a half billion people online. And while, of course, there are people who are struggling, there's a world of people who are not. And What has always been true, and it was true for me when I started an online business four years ago, and I was selling courses to songwriters who, by the way, last time I checked, songwriters were not, you know, the wealthiest population. The bottom line is that you don't need millions or hundreds of thousands or even thousands of people to buy from you to have a significant business. If you had 10, 20, 50 customers, clients, depending on whether you're doing service-based packages, like you're starting an organizing company or you're making, you're making something like cheesecakes. You know, you could have 10 customers, like 10 delis that are buying cheesecakes from you and you're 
making millions. And that's actually the case for my friend, Jenny Goldfarb, who started making corned beef out of her kitchen, vegan corned beef and called 10 delis and got 10 clients. You just completely overestimate what is necessary for you to grow a business and you underestimate your value and you underestimate what's possible. And that has to change. So I believe that this Arrive community is going to be so good. It's going to light such a fire. It's going to give you new lenses to see the world. And not only will you be able to talk directly with these guest experts after every masterclass that we have, but then every month we'll be giving you a guidebook to go along with the session. And as a community, we'll all be taking a few steps forward and keeping you accountable and helping you implement those changes. So instead of just listening to this podcast, you will now be actually doing and doing something about these dreams, which will no longer just be dreams. They will become a reality as it is for me and all the people you hear on this show. You have a place. There's room for you. If you want to join the Arrive community, just know that if you sign up by the end of this week, by the end of Friday night at midnight, you get two months free. So you can go to kathyheller.com slash Arrive community, and we would love to have you in there, especially at that founder's price. It gives you two months free. All right, let's talk about today's episode. It's extra special because one of my very favorite fashion designers, Tanya Taylor, is here. She's the founder of Tanya Taylor, her women's wear brand, whose mission is to inspire real women to celebrate their individuality and create an inclusive community that brings colorful confidence and high energy happiness to women's wardrobes through the artful use of color and original prints. Her gorgeous clothes are sold at Saks, Bergdorf Goodman, Neiman Marcus, Nordstrom, and in a hundred specialty stores around the country. Her collections have been worn by a few names you might have heard of, like Michelle Obama, Beyonce, Kristen Wiig, you know, no big deal. She was a top finalist in the Council of Fashion Designers of America Vogue Fashion Fund, and she's been included on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list. You have to go look at her clothes because they are absolutely stunning, and it's no surprise. She is just as stunning of a human inside and out. I love everything that she stands for, and the amount of resourcefulness that she has is amazing. I think just hearing her story, it's going to spark some ideas on how you can get started and use whatever tools you have have to build some momentum. Also, I just want to note that for my 40th birthday, I spent more money than I've ever spent on a dress because it was a Tanya Taylor dress. I fell in love with it and it had polka dots and little embroidery of different colors on the sleeves and the back was completely open and it was like vintage and sexy and I just adore her. Let's get into it. Please welcome the wonderful Tanya Taylor. Tanya Taylor, I am so happy that you are here right now. Thanks for making the time. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I just told Tanya before we hit record, I, for my 40th birthday, went to Neiman Marcus and said, I'm going to let myself buy any dress, anything that really like makes my heart go pitter patter. And this dress that I bought is yours. It is absolutely stunning. You guys, I will post a photo on my Instagram for you to see it. It, it felt like the greatest gift to myself. What you make is so unusual. It's gorgeous. It's feminine. It's got depth to it. It's sexy. I don't know how you've pulled all that together just by being you, but we're here for it. We are here to get the whole scoop. So take us back to where this all started and how you became who you are today. I grew up in Toronto and I grew up with a mom who valued both business and art equally. And she run, she ran a crazy company of like 5,000 employees, but she'd still come home and be like, let's paint. And so we would paint 
all the walls of my basement with like crazy retro pinup girls wearing like, you know, nuts outfits and their cars and stuff. And I just always express myself through painting, through color. Um, I grew up with also a grandma and, and my mom who both just wore the same color head to toe in like full enthusiasm. So picture coming down to the breakfast table and like full yellow with like nails and like full purples. And I just thought that was normal, even though it's not. Love um, it. Yep. But it kind of gave me the sense of like, you can be anything you want to be. You should express yourself through fashion. But I loved business. So I decided to do my undergraduate degree in finance at McGill University in Montreal. And it was great. I think I just realized that like I was missing creativity in what I could see my job outside of university becoming. So I, I went to Parsons in New York and moved to New York. I had never been to New York, did not know one person, ended up at school there. And I applied for an internship with Mary Kate and Ashley Olson right when they were starting Elizabeth and James. And it was a, a really interesting time in fashion because they were starting Elizabeth and James, but they were also doing the row. So they were kind of thinking about contemporary versus designer. And I just got so inspired by this idea of developing a collection and a brand that could speak to someone that was my age that, you know, you had to consider like the realistic body types and price points and really think about contemporary fashion in a really fresh artistic way. So I had a bad day at work one day. I quit my job and I called my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband. I was like, I just quit my job. He's like, yeah, you're Canadian. Like you need a, you need a visa to be in the United States. <laughs> and I, I guess I should start a company. So I, I'm not a really great planner. Like I can't say that I'm methodical about what the future looks like and I just jumped into it. So I had one employee and it was just he and I for two and a half years. And now we have about 26 employees and I really am proud of what we create. We're size inclusive, very colorful. We paint all of our prints and it's a very close knit, but really kind of exciting team. I love that you basically quit your job and then because of your visa, you're like, I guess I'll start a business. That's a good idea. That's the best reason to like start a company. It's so awesome. All of it. I love that your size inclusive. I love that you added all of this color, but how the heck did you do all of this stuff? So take us through building this amazing business. So the first couple of sales were me calling stores and having them come in and see a collection I had built. Um, and that collection was probably 20 pieces. It was fabrics that are five times the price that we would ever spend now. It was really an unrealistic, amazing kind of first collection. The first one that ever bought us was from Japan. It was called United Arrows. And they walked in, they came with a film crew. So that was like, didn't really know what to think of that, but they filmed all of their appointments in the US. And so they came with this film crew, they loved it, they bought the collection. And I was like, oh, that's the way it always goes. Like I wasn't, I didn't have experience knowing what sales market was. And Saks was our first major department store. And then the brand kind of grew quickly, I'd say from year three to year five. And it was still like five people on the team. 
really small, but I think what it helped it grow is what we were doing in the industry. And, you know, I remember the first six months of starting the company, I met this wonderful man named Patrick Bradbury, and he was a publicist. And I sat down with him. I was like, I don't know anyone here. I don't know how to like break out. I don't know how to make this brand be noticed. Like, what do I do? And he said, well, where's your favorite place in the city? And I was like, MoMA. He's like, well, you should have your show at the MoMA. (laughs) I was like, that's such a great idea. Great. Will you help me? He's like, no, I don't know anyone at the MoMA. Like, this is all on you, kid, and figure it out. And he lit this fire in me to just be really courageous. You know, the worst thing someone can say is no, like just kind of put yourself out there. And I called the restaurant of the MoMA because that's the only like phone number I could find. And they picked up, I was like, can I have my fashion show here? And they're like, do you want a table? Like, I don't understand. Like, what's the, what's a fashion show? And I made progress by realizing that corporate sponsors of the museum actually are able to host two events a year. And a lot of them don't take advantage of that opportunity. And so I called every corporate sponsor month after month. And finally, JP Morgan came forward and said, you know what? We're not going to use our September slot if you want to have an event there. So we were the first fashion designer to ever show in the Agnes Gunn lobby, which is the, like my dream of a place and really surreal. And I think we just kind of tried to do things differently and be really scrappy about it and be creative. And that helped to just feel really personal to customers. Oh, I love that he said, well, where's your favorite place in the city? And you're like the MoMA and then you're like, great. So you know people? And he's like, no. But this idea of like, what do you desire? What lights you up? And then this scrappy part of like, let's figure it out. And then you're doing something different that you love that you did by yourself. And that story in and of itself is so epic. And I'm curious, let's go back for a second. So the first big story you said was Saks. Is that correct? Yeah. How did you get into Saks? What does it look like to get your first buyer? we found a huge jump in sales when we signed a showroom. So doing it myself and calling stores only really got us so far. And it's because the buyers don't have time to go to every individual designer. So we found a showroom that represented individual kind of indie designers and they were so um, thoughtful about how to build those businesses. And it was called launch collective and we were with them and they brought Saxon. So you know, Saks came to a show. I was there for the market appointment. I think it's so important for designers to realize that they shouldn't pass off those relationships to an external vendor, but like be present and really know that it's, they want to see you. They want to hear what, why you designed the collection that way and feel your enthusiasm for the brand. Oh, thank you. That was so generous of you. I don't know anything about the fashion world, so I never knew that. That you that makes sense. Let's go back one step, and then we'll go ahead forward. Okay. Those first few pieces that you sewed, the first few people that you sold them to, what did that look like? Like here you are, you quit your job, now you start sewing, and like you show up on Facebook, and you're like, does anybody want to try on this dress? Like, how does that go? I never sewed them by hand myself. I always knew that that was not my strength. My strength is painting and creating the textile. So it started by saying, what do I want this to look like in six months? 
okay, I want it to be crazy red floral prints and gingham checks. So I started painting the, you know, red florals. I printed all of that fabric actually in New York, which is unheard of. Um, I found a printer in Midtown and you can drop off your artwork and they digitize it and then they can print it on all different kinds of silks. And that was like eye-opening to me. I had never actually made prints really before doing that for my own collection. And then Gingham Check, I just bought at fabric stores in the garment district. So it's very different to now. Like now we plan a year in advance. We work with Italian mills, you know, amazing printers, and it's just a different process. But then we found a factory, this one, Cindy, and she had like a factory in the garment district. And I would just go with my sketches. And she had an incredible team that would translate those into you know, a muslin is what you call the first proto. We would fit that on me and then we would put it in the real fabric once the real fabric was ready. And it was very bare bones, but it worked out. Like I think the best time of my life for sure. So, so scrappy. And I just loved the adventure of it. You know what I also just love about this is the scrappiness and the resourcefulness because you didn't say to yourself, oh, I can't have a fashion line. I don't sit down and sew. That doesn't light me up. You said, I will find the people to work with me because I have this vision and this is the piece I'll do. And then I'll bring in this person and I'll bring in that person. And nothing was a obstacle. It was just like, oh, I'll just have to collaborate. I think that's been actually a good lesson throughout it is always to know what you're good at. And then hire people or find support that kind of rounds your team out. And I still do that. Like whenever we're hiring someone, I love asking them questions that I have no idea the answer to because I hope they have the answer. And it's a good way to just make sure that like you're not hiring clones of yourself. You're really like, you know, growing. So helpful. Now, when you started to sell the work, right? Do you remember your first sale? Do you remember the first dress or the first piece that sold? Yeah, it was called the Pratt Code, which was named after my husband's last name, Pratt. And it's this gorgeous, like, chevron wool cashmere coat that my mother-in-law still wears. It, like, melts my heart every time I see her. And where did that first sell? To a human being that you knew? To a store? Like, where was that first sale? It was to that Japanese store, that United Arrows account that we had. They bought it and loved it. And I think they bought, like, 50 units or something, which was a a full production run for us at that time. It was like sweepy. Like it felt very dreamy. When did you become size inclusive? Were you always that way? No, we started that three years ago now. And we had always done a lot of custom pieces and we knew there was a customer that was really like really itching for happy, feminine, optimistic fashion. And my mom has always been kind of a size 14 to size 18 all her life. And I've just watched her not have ways of getting dressed and feeling like herself every day and definitely wanted to address that. And then she just definitely wanted more clothes. (laughs) So um, we kind of had a personal side of why we started it. And then A.D. Bryant from SNL, who is one of my favorite comedians. She's the best. We worked on a custom piece for her with Glamour Magazine. And she's my age. And she and I share 
all the same kind of joy of life, funny, emoji, loving, you know, lifestyles. And I just realized that it was so hard to hear how difficult it was for her to go up on stage and have confidence compared to the rest of the cast. And it just made me realize that we as a team are small enough that we could learn how to make our brand size inclusive. And then it was a really fun challenge to talk to wholesalers and say, will you take this on? And we were, I'd say one of two contemporary brands that really started the conversation with wholesale and talking to a Nordstrom, for example, they, you know, were so supportive and really had identified at that time that two girlfriends that are the same age but different sizes shouldn't have to go to different floors. So we really started kind of working with our partners and now all of our retailers carry up to a size 22. And it's just this part of our business that's really meaningful. And we just always like to talk about how we don't have two different sized customers, that there's just this range to what we offer and the same dress that I'm inspired to design for a size two is the same dress I would design for a size 22. And we like to show that in our marketing. So it just kind of feels like there's an approachability and destigmatizing this idea that an, a larger customer might want to wear black jersey because that's not the truth. And I think that there's this shared sense of like optimism and happy fashion between everyone. It's so beautiful. It like makes me want to cry. I just think it's so gorgeous and everything makes so much sense that you just said that it's kind of hard to believe that other people don't do that because it's like, that just all makes sense. It's just, it's just, how could it not be that way? Have you seen in the last three years that you've done that, like a huge surge in your business overall because of that, even from women who don't necessarily shop on those sizes? Definitely. It's been a huge driving force behind our e-commerce. And then I think in a very busy, highly saturated fashion market, it's allowed us to stand out and allowed us to really put purpose and the heart of what we do kind of ahead of, you know, product. And it's just given us some like meaning in a customer's mind. So it's absolutely worked for us from a business sense. And I think what's fascinating is like, when you say, why aren't other people doing it? We love to share what it actually cost us to do it. Like we have put together a 10 point list of these are the steps we took. We hired a tech designer, we found a fit model, and we're trying to share that with other brands so that the obstacle of how they approach this doesn't actually, it's not as big as it seems. I mean, that's the whole point, no pun intended, right? It's like, what is this? Like, we are all women. We all have real bodies. They're doing that now. I have three little girls and they're creating Barbies now that are all sizes. And I'm like, thank God, you know, that women won't have a standard where like, it starts so young where we judge ourselves. It starts so young. Like, I can't tell you the level of nightmare that this is. And, and you know it. And you know it. And you're doing something about it. And what's beautiful about the way you do your branding, when I bought the dress, there's no distinction. It's all fluid. It's like, it's just a dress. I totally share that idea of like, it's funny, actually. My mom, who was a size 18, never felt bad about her body. 
she always dressed up and had this like uh, confidence. I've never noticed my body. Like I'm seven months pregnant right now and I'm walking around and of course I'm a totally different size than I've ever been, but I don't think about it. And I realize that I've been sheltered in a way and really like grateful for being surrounded by women who didn't put any um, consciousness of that on me. And it's hard to not put that on your generation. Like I have a son and now I'm having another son. And I always want to think about how they are portraying women and how, you know, it's important outside of just having a customer that has access to great clothing, that there's also imagery that shows a range of beauty. And this like, it feels more powerful for boys and girls to be able to see that imagery and realize like, that's what's beautiful. It's so on point that I can't believe this is not coming up all the time. I love that you just shared that your mom was not criticizing herself constantly. Like this is the light. This is why it comes through you because you were raised to just be who you are and what an absolute treasure that is. So thank you, mom, for that. The question I have for you, you keep saying really interesting things about your brand. You say things that are feeling words, right? Like optimistic, colorful fashion. What I want to get across and I want to see if you can unpack it is that I think when people are making things, we think we're selling things, but we're really selling feelings. We're really selling stories. We're really selling so much meaning behind the thing. Mm -hmm. That's to me a lot about what branding is. And you keep saying what your brand makes you feel like and what it represents. Tell me how early on you knew that about branding and tell me once you knew it, how you lay out for people what your brand story is and what that looks like. I think I always knew that my objective was to make women have fun in our clothes and for them to feel happy. I've never gravitated towards, you know, basics. Like that's just not even personally my style, but also not what I wanted to create for people. I really wanted to give them special and my sign of success would be if I could be in as many framed photos in their house as possible in like the special moments of their life. So I kind of designed that that for, you know, always thinking that's the purpose. Um, And it's evolved a lot in the last year and a half to feel so personal to me on how we express what the brand should feel to people. So anything small, like we've just redid our hang tags. There's multiple different words they say, but all of them are multicolored and they say, please wear this to feel creative. Please wear this to feel empowered. Please wear this to feel courageous, like whatever it is. And I think that's just my connection to fashion is it's a very like emotional connection. I Um, love that so much because it's that little touch when you go to put it on and then it says that it changes everything about your state, right? You're just, your whole state of mind changes. And then it's in your closet and you realize like, that is my happy dress. That's my creative dress. And I hope that that's what our customers feel. And then I think, you know, we use social media a lot to express joy and we do that through, you know, funny quotes. We do that through taking old paintings from like the Renaissance and then repainting them in our prints and like dressing the people up as if we had, you know, the option to do that. It's just really interesting. I think that we test our audience a lot to see like what kind of content makes them happy. And then we just riff off of that and we want them to know that they come to us for that resource. 
all of that. It's just so beautiful. Like it's so clear when you look at anything you're doing that that's just emanating and oozing from every pore is just this fun, light intentionality. That is why people are so magnetized to what you make and who you are. When it comes to teaching other people what you may have learned from engaging other human beings, what are the steps that you feel like were really important? How did you figure out how to engage your audience in the way they wanted to be seen and speak their language and make this relationship that's so connected? It's not just like, look at me. It's more like, come with me. That's so nice. I feel like no one's actually put it that way. And that's exactly what I would strive for it to feel like for someone. I never think we're the girl that's doing the street style shots. I always think we're the girl that's like dressing for herself to have like fun in her head versus like to be loud for others. But yeah, I think we recently have been using a lot of like surveys, just asking people you know, we're, we're making pajamas in a couple months. And I'm like, do you want your pajamas to be shorts and a cami or do you want them to be long sleeved and long pants? And you get hundreds and hundreds of responses. And that's like data that we've been able to kind of build on. I think that we've tried other ways of like talking to people too, where we started these color therapy classes and we have people tap into emotions of their like memory and paint for us. And so we get to see like, what their favorite colors are, what colors make them happy. And we get to kind of understand a little bit of like their relationship with color. But then I like in real life connection. So a ton of trunk shows, a lot of remembering certain people that said certain things about why they wore a dress of ours like you will definitely be ingrained in my mind. Um, I think all of those things add up for you to just understand like the complexity and like this, it's almost like a quilt of all the people that support you and learn from them. I love this conversation. How did it feel to you when people like Michelle Obama, Kristen Wiig, Beyonce were like, oh yeah, I'm just going to wear a Tanya Taylor dress. Like, what does that feel like? Best. It's like the craziest feeling. The first time Michelle Obama wore us, I was sitting in my office at midnight and was applying for the Vogue Fashion Fund, which was this competition. And it was just terrifying. It was like, who are you? Why do you matter? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm like answering it. And I opened Instagram and she wore us to this ceremony in New York. And I love Michelle Obama. She represents a lot of what I believe in. And we ended up dressing her 13 times when she was in the White House. Please stop. Oh my God. That's insane. Okay. Keep going. It was so cool. It was like our whole team stops. Like as soon as you get an email saying like, by the way, this is coming up. Do you have any ideas of what she could wear? We just drop everything because whether it's celebrity or whether it's a person you know that's wearing the collection, being able to put a face to what you're creating and someone who inspires you is just the best kind of full circle. And I ended up getting to go to the White House and bring my mom and she got to meet her, which was really one of the most special moments. It's crazy. And every woman knows that there is no greater compliment than wearing someone's clothes because it's one thing to be like, oh yeah, 
oh, I'll, I'll endorse you or I'll put a testimonial on, but like, I'm going to go to this function where all eyes are on me and I'm going to wear your clothes because of how they make me feel about myself. We've all had that moment in the dressing room where you're going through this one and this one, then you put it on and you go, I feel beautiful or I feel alive or I love the way I look. And to be that person for her, of course that makes you feel amazing because we know as women what that feels like in the dressing room when there's that thing and it clicks. And so for, for her to say like, I feel that way and I could wear anything. I could literally wear any single thing in the world, even things that have not yet been created. I could have them made, but I'm going to wear this. And you just feel so like lucky to be a part of making her feel that way. And then I think it's so interesting to see like, yeah, Kristen Wiig, she's my favorite comedian. Like that girl could just make me laugh for the rest of my life. I love comedians. That's like, my number one thing. I love seeing the range of talent that sometimes gravitates towards the brand. And I think what's really interesting is we've tried to figure it out because they're all different ages, body types. Sometimes they even wear the same dress and you're like, you guys seem different. What, what's uniting you? And it's always just this like shared sense of um, creativity and like happy. Like Michelle Obama dresses happy. There's no like try hard attitude to any of the women that wear us. What was the Beyonce situation? Oh, her team came into Saks when I was standing there having a trunk show and they came in and um, (laughs) the timing was wild. I am there twice a year hosting a trunk show. So I have no idea how this happened. And they came in and they go, we have a client, um, but she would need to get a lot of things by tomorrow because she's going to London. Could you ship XYZ to this address in the next couple hours? And at this time, we had shipping in New Jersey. The address was in New York, and I didn't know who the client was. And then finally, they're like, well, it's Beyonce. And I was like, pardon? <laughs> like, I, would, I will jump in a cab right now and go get it myself. And we got it there in time. And then she went to London with Jay-Z and it was like during that time where she cut her hair kind of short and she wore us three days in a row. And it was so cool. I have a client and wondering, (laughs) oh, who is it? Beyonce. Excuse me, I have to die. Then I'll revive myself and then I'll get her the outfit. That's I was like, I was Googling the address and there was like paparazzi pictures coming out. So I was like, I guess it's right. Like, I feel like this might be accurate. I don't know. That's incredible. What a dream. When you were a little girl, was there a seed of like, you could look back and go, I think I, I saw then that I loved clothes or I wanted to be a fashion designer or one day I loved this person's career. Was there anything like that for you? Yeah. Movies always left like a big impact on me. I feel like I watched a lot of movies as a kid and Melanie Griffith and Working Girl definitely left an impression. And we actually have a dress coming up in an upcoming collection that looks a lot like the yeah. hair and does like the off the shoulder velvet. I think patterns in movies, like even obviously like brown and white polka dot, pretty woman or oh. like weird outfit mixing Cher Horowitz. Like I, I picked up on characters. I really liked the characters I saw on the screen and like how they played with fashion. First of all, I know all of those moments, but like who doesn't know, like she's Julia Roberts at the racetrack or obviously clueless. I am your ideal client avatar. Like I personally (laughs) love your clothes. So I could see that looking back, like, yes, I remember that a working girl. So my question is in the fashion industry, 
And in any industry, people often compare themselves to other people and they think, well, I know this is me, but that's not what's going to work. What's going to work is this. And, you know, mm -hmm. I have to do it like dark and look at all saints, look at this thing. Everything's like black, 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 you know, like everybody has that sort of edge to them and you didn't let that sort of stop you. And I think everyone who's listening probably compares themselves too often and thinks, well, I know that this is what makes me happy, but look at what everybody else is doing. I don't want to feel stupid. How did you not let that sort of derail you and instead went all in on like, I'm Punky Brewster. I'm the sexy version of her. I'm proud to be this. Like, and you just go for it. It was hard. I can't say I did it like fearlessly. Like, I feel like there were definitely some pioneers in the industry. Like let's say a, you know, DDF that always led with a lot of like color and happiness. And yeah, that's true. And I looked at that and she was the chairman of the CFDA when I was going through the Vogue Fashion Fund. So she was definitely a really like formidable voice in my career, but I found it hard. Like, I feel like when I was in the Vogue Fashion Fund, there were nine other designers and none of them made clothes that looked like mine. Yeah. And mine maybe looked like a little too happy sometimes. <laughs> and people thought I was always happy. And you're like, no, 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 I could be real. Like people shouldn't wear this brand or be part of this brand to be fake. I think it's to be uplifting. And then it just, it, it, it made me kind of have to come into my own skin and feel comfortable talking about, you know, being a business owner or being vulnerable. And that made me more comfortable being able to make happy clothes because I knew people needed them. And that is why I feel more confident doing it now than I did, you know, five years ago. Yeah. And I love that there's that authenticity piece to it. In this time, speaking of happy and sad, and people are going through so much with this pandemic, what is it literally like for you? I think that people would assume, oh, every business has dried up. Everybody's, you know, but you have an online component to your business. How does it look for you? And how are you pivoting to stay in business during this time? Well, if we kept things going the way things were going um, through this, it would be looking a lot worse than the way that we've been able to creatively pivot. So our revenue is down about 40% for the year. Ecom is down even more than that for us as a direct channel. And what we have been able to do to know that this is temporary and we're eventually all going to you know, need to come back and have momentum. We have worked with all of our stores and held on shipping new collections until they reopen so that we're not fueling the system that yeah. kind of existed and things get marked down. We have thought about different price points and introducing them on e-com. We've thought about bringing other brands into our world and how we could help support them. We are, you know, being very conservative about how to spend on paid media and partnerships and scaling back in that way so that we have the financial support when we get out of this to really grow the business the way we had planned. And I think my focus has just been on really cutting as many costs as possible. And honestly, I think it's what we will do forever. The money we were spending on things, it doesn't matter to me anymore. And it, it needed this minute to kind of reevaluate there's a silver lining in all of this for us to scale down and get a little bit more focused in all of our businesses. And that's helping us get through this. Mm. And you know, what's interesting is as you shared that you shared it, but you're not 
falling apart. It was almost like you shared it as though you just found a gift. I think we did. I think that um, I have a really hard time sometimes stopping things that are moving really quickly. And this has been a gift in a way of being alone to think about the business and being everyone being apart and having to be really clear on what you want people to focus on. And it's given time to say like, I don't know if I care about that anymore, or let's think of what fashion is going to feel like in, you know, three months, what's consumer demand going to feel like and how can we be a part of a refreshed industry? So I have worked my butt off calling everyone I know. And every week I have like 25 calls with people that would never usually respond to an email. And I'm just asking them about their businesses and asking about what they're doing during this time and what they'd recommend. And I've been able to kind of just feel so connected to people in the industry that I feel more confident in us making those like scaled down choices. That's really fascinating. And it's interesting. You just said like people I would not have normally heard from. So that's a huge gift, right? This connection piece to people who you guys need each other. And sometimes, like you said, you're so busy being busy. It's hard to stop and step back and say like, what intentionally is essential? Like, what do I really proactively want to be building? It's beautiful that you can sort of roll with that that's part of your resourcefulness. That's from the beginning. It's like, you're not defined by this is how much money I have to make, or you're, there's no rigidity to you. It feels like that's a beautiful quality that's helped you be successful. I think it's, it's helped me um, face challenges because you have a flexibility to how you might approach the good times and the bad times. Um, And it's helping right now for sure. I feel like I haven't stopped. Like since we all went work from home, I've really been relying on like my amazing team to also bring ideas to me and for us to like feel very connected and what we can build together. Um, And it's, you know, it's not easy to do, but I think I get a lot of energy from them, a lot of energy from people. So being alone in a room, I need a lot of zoom calls to stay happy (laughs) and it's working. That's awesome. Last question on the other side of that, when it comes to the money piece, you know, I bought your dress and I know that you have a range of things that you sell. I want my audience to understand you can go and you can find something that you will love that you can buy. Um, But the dress that I bought was about $900 and I didn't blink an eye. Like I loved the dress so much. It wasn't even a question. I was like, I'm buying this dress. And I thought to myself, good for her. Like she priced this dress at $900, you know, That takes a certain level of self-permission. Yeah. When it comes to charging, especially for women, Mm -hmm. that's where all of our stuff comes up. And we undercharge all the time. Yeah. How did you come to know your worth? How did you learn to receive? And how did you learn to say like, this is what this dress feels like it's worth and this is what it's going to cost? Yeah. I think that's a great question. You're totally right. Women do do that. Uh, for that dress specifically, its worth came from the fact that the sleeves are all hand beaded by 20 incredible people that I know in a community in India. So I was like, you know what? If we undercut our price to a customer, it's undercutting their craft. And 
that was what dictated that. That is at the top end of our dresses. But our, our average dress is like 425. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's more than half of that. And I think that I, I see a need for us to probably introduce lower price points and to the point of how we're approachable in size and in age, maybe price has to be the next thing that we tackle. And it's just hard when you don't have the larger production units and ability to grow a business around a price point like that at the beginning. But I think we're there now and I see a need for it. So yeah, we range from you know, 125 to probably that 900. And it just comes from what's involved in it. They are all 100% silk. They're all hand-painted prints in our studio in New York. They are all made by people that we, you know, can tell the story of. And I think that that kind of gives value in the storytelling to the customer. Yeah. And what you're basically saying is we're not selling the price. We're selling the value. Yeah, I think so. And the feeling, right? Yeah. But I do think that there's a self-confidence piece in there. And I do think it's beautiful that you want to be able to be inclusive to folks who want maybe something at a lower price point. And at the same time, Chanel is what Chanel is. They're sort of like choose your fishing hole. Do you know what I mean? And I don't know. I would say there are people who pay $400 for dresses. Those are the people who will probably keep buying your dresses. Yeah. And I, I think you can't be everything to everyone. I want to be in business at the end of the day and support a team and grow our impact we can have. So I also know that comes with a price. Yep. Tell us where we can find you, what's next, what we can look for, what we can go grab today to make ourselves feel happy in the middle of a quarantine. It's like, if you ever needed to get dressed more than ever, it's now, right? Like it could make a big difference today than it could have six months ago to put on something that makes you feel great. So where can we find you? Where can we find your stuff? So we have our own e-commerce. It's just tanyataylor.com. I think that has the best selection. You get to learn a lot about the brand. But we're also at Nordstrom. We're at Neiman Marcus. We're at Saks. We're at Bergdorf, Shopbop. So really a lot of the different retailers in the U.S. And then 100 specialty stores. So maybe one in your area too. Awesome. This was so fun. Thank you for taking the time out of your pandemic, your life, you're pregnant, your kids. And thank you for sharing all this with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. I love talking to Tanya. And I just wanted you to know that when we were finished with the interview, she told me that she wants to let you know some really cool initiatives they've been doing since COVID started. In March, they launched their Make a Mask campaign to raise funds for the creation and donation of 30,000 non-medical grade masks to hospitals in New York City and Canada to reduce the strain on supplies of medical grade N95 masks that were needed by medical staff and workers who are working directly with COVID-19 patients. And next month, the brand is creating a similar initiative that you can be a part of. So if you want to support, you can subscribe to their newsletter at tanyataylor.com and make sure you follow them on Instagram at Tanya Taylor. We have all those links in the show notes. All right, here are the takeaways. Number one, you can be anyone you want to be. Number two, this is all on you, kid. You're going to figure it out. Number three, put yourself out there. The worst thing someone can say is no. Number four, be present for your relationships. They want to see you, hear you, and feel your enthusiasm for your brand. Number five, when you put purpose and heart ahead of the product, that's when you stand out. Number six, survey your audience, collect the data, understand the complexity of this quilt of people who support you and learn from them. Number seven, be flexible in how you approach good times and bad times. Number eight, in a way, this is a gift. Now we have the space to get really clear on what to focus on. 
All right, now let's celebrate your wins. So Eliza posted in our Facebook group and she said, I've been having an epic week. First, Podcast Magazine just released a five-page feature on my podcast. Then I was alerted that my podcast was featured as the number one pick on Apple Podcasts for their chill pastimes recommendations. It was a complete surprise to me. And to top it all off, my show is now ranked number one on the charts in my category. It's been a very weird week filled with proud moments. Eliza, that is amazing. Congratulations. You totally deserve this. I remember when you first launched this podcast and we celebrated you with one of our first listener shout outs and oh my gosh now you're being featured on apple and getting multi-page features you are definitely such a rock star you guys can go listen to eliza's podcast it's called craft hangout she's had awesome guests on like amy Chandrine, who you heard on last week's episode and i also had the honor of being on her show eliza way to go so proud of you all right here's the next one from erica erica said i'm realizing that my job is just that a job it's not my passion and i kind of hate it but i'm figuring that out and realizing that i'm made for something greater i'm taking steps to move towards a happier work life erica my heart is reaching out to you first of all it takes a great amount of awareness to even even wake up and realize that this life isn't serving you. And then it takes so much more courage to admit that you're not satisfied with where you are. I hope you're going to recognize that sharing this is a step forward and it is a win. I think so many people listening can relate and we're all here cheering you on. I can't wait to see you walk on this path towards figuring out the work that you're made to do. Keep us posted. And P.S. you guys, I'm about to be doing a challenge in about two and a half weeks. It's called Made for This. And if you want to be part of my five-day free workshop, which is guaranteed to deliver heaps of inspiration for you, you can go to kathyheller.com slash challenge. It is free. It is five days. We will begin August 31st. I'll be live for five days every single day, bringing the fire. Come join us, kathyheller.com slash challenge. Thank you so much for listening to this show. I know I say this every time, but your time is the most valuable thing that you have, and it means a lot that you spend it here. So thank you guys for listening. We have so many cool episodes coming up. Guy Raz is going to be here, Dan Harris, David Lynch, Martha Beck, so many cool people. You don't want to miss it. All you have to do is subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen, and it is free to subscribe. So please go ahead and do that. And I'm curious, did this episode teach you something new? Did it spark an idea or help you see something in a new light? If the answer is yes, can you think of someone who would appreciate it? If so, please go ahead and post about the show on your Instagram and tell your friends, tag them and tag me at kathy.heller so I can repost it. And remember, come join us in the Arrive Community Membership because we have the Founders Price until Friday at midnight. You can get two months free of this awesome membership. I'll be coaching every month. You'll have a guest expert masterclass every single month. There'll be a toolkit sent to you every single month. We'll be working on implementing certain steps to move your business forward. And you'll be surrounded by incredible humans who will be there to help you stay accountable. Plus, every single month, there'll be opportunities to be featured on the podcast and so many other cool things. You can go to kathyheller.com slash arrive community and join us. I love you guys. I'll leave you with a song of mine and I'll talk to you on Monday.
the heart of a hero